it is my great joy to welcome you today. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here at City Reach LA. Uh, it's Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we celebrate why we gather at all. Um, it's the crux of our faith. We're going to commemorate. We're going to honor. We're going to revel in Jesus' power over death. His, his resurrection that's honored this Sunday for the redemption of the world. And I have been almost giddy about today, I'm telling you. I've been, I've been almost giddy leading up today. So excited to bring this message before you. You guys ready for it? You know, I've, been, I've been like pumping it up for a while now because I'm just like, I've actually been making notes about this sermon for a few years now. I didn't know when I was going to preach it, but I'm like, I'm so stoked. I was thinking this week, about how when someone creates something, they reveal something of themselves in their creation. And they leave something of themselves in their creation. A part of them will always show up in their work. A part of them will always be revealed in that thing that they, at least subtly, in their work. My wife Amanda, she, is, uh, she does modern calligraphy. She does brush lettering. She does watercolor design. She's a brilliant artist. And if you look at her work, if you look at the stuff that she creates... If you know what to look for, you can find her in it. You can always see her in it. Her unique interpretation of floral design, her, her bent on letters as art, a piece of her is always in her work, if not blatantly, at least subtly. Woodwork is a passion of mine. I spent many years learning this craft. You're like, a pastor and a carpenter? What? I just need, I want to be like Jesus, right? Like, that's what we're supposed to do here. If you look at the furniture I've built, if you look at the pieces of art that I've built with wood, you will find me in my designs. Or take editors like Gabe, or knitters like Eliana, or singer-songwriters like Jackie, or apparel designers like Emily, or directors like Mark. Creators always pour something of themselves into what it is that they're creating. And if you know what you're looking for, you'll always find them in it. If you know how to look at it, you always find them in their work. And the point I want to make this morning is that similarly, our God is a creator. He's a creator. And it's actually the first thing that we learn about him in Genesis, in the Genesis poem of creation. He made all that is, all of creation, including man and woman. And check this out. Human beings, they're created. We create because we're created in his image. He left something of himself in us, in our own molding, in all of us. He's placed deep in our bones the desire, the passion, the capacity to create things. We carry this ability because it has been passed on by our creator to us. And carrying traces of the divine, it's not limited to humanity. It's not just limited to human beings, to, to man and woman. If you know what you're looking for, you find traces of God, glimpses of God in all of creation. All of creation revealing the divine, literally all of it as creator. Something of him was poured out into all of his creation. The ocean. Gosh, you ever just like sit and look at the ocean, right? It reveals hints of what God is like. A sunset that displays his character. Music. There's something of God in music. A rainforest. Hummingbirds. Astronomy. Chemistry. Coffee. God's in it. All these individual elements reflect something of the whole from which they came. And this is why I want to spend a month here. This is why we're going to spend April talking about coffee at City Reach LA. And it's not just because I'm passionate about coffee, which I am. 
and you'll learn more about why, but because this superb handiwork, this, this marvel that Jesus invented, it reflects something majestic of the divine. Now, I have, ante- I have anticipated some grumblers. All right, I was ready for it. Coffee's gross. I just don't like coffee. And I want to acknowledge that, in my opinion, a small percentage of human beings will actually not like the, the flavor of coffee. I get it. There's a very small percentage. However, I believe most of the time people dislike coffee, it's because they've never had exceptional coffee. And secondarily, they might not have had it in their flavor profile preference, which we'll get into that in future weeks. But to illustrate, some people are like, I don't believe in God. Well, hold on a second. Like, what, what type of God do you reject? What, what's this God? What do, what do you know of this God? Well, if, if there were a God, he's that all-powerful, distant, angry deity. He's, he's indifferent to real people's suffering and pain. He's caught up on a power trip. He's waiting for people to mess up so we can just send them to hell. I just don't believe that God exists. You know what? I don't believe that God exists either. That's not the God we read of in Scripture. This ancient collections of book, collection of books we have, it tells us of a God who is so involved in his creation. He literally lives in them. That he's so invested in his creation that he became one of them to redeem their pain and suffering. That he's tenderhearted. That he's compassionate. That he's slow to anger. That he's abounding in love. That he never fails us. That's what God's really like. Have you encountered that God? Because that's what we read about in scripture. And similarly, similarly, people say, I don't like coffee. It's nasty. It's bitter. You know what? I don't like that coffee either. That's gross. Nobody should be drinking bad coffee. Nobody should be. Amanda and I, we like to joke about bad coffee. Sometimes like we'll go to a new coffee shop, we'll try something. And we're like, oh yeah, I can taste the flavor notes here. It's a uh, cigarette ash. Central American mud and the finish is parking lot, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a little charcoal forward, this one is. No good coffee tastes bad. It doesn't. Good coffee tastes good, and it's what's supposed to be like. Depending on where it's from, it tastes like pomegranate. It tastes like rose. It tastes like nutmeg. It tastes like maple syrup. Often when I brew Ethiopian beans, I'll make a brew give Amanda a glass, and she takes it immediately. She's like, blueberries. It's classic to Ethiopia. My three-year-old daughter loves coffee. I serve it to her black. We don't, I don't give her a lot. But she asks me all the time for coffee. That is what coffee's about. Coffee is majestic. It's powerful. It's delicate. And it reveals so much about God. It reveals so much about our relationship with the divine and with each other, but we can so easily miss it if we're not looking for it. So I want to help you look for it. I love coffee. I want to help you love coffee. That's what we're going to do this month. This month, I'm going to preach through a sermon series I'm calling Jesus Invented Coffee. We're going to talk about brokenness. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about diversity. We're going to talk about aroma. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be so good, guys. It's going to be so good. Today, I'm preaching a message entitled, A Study in Brokenness. And here's my plan. I want to talk about coffee. Then I want to talk about Jesus. And then I want to talk about coffee and Jesus and you. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Okay. Let's talk about coffee for a minute. This is the coffee plant. It's a plant that grows in many countries, a little above, a little below the equator. It's known as the coffee belt, actually, around the world. Most of it grows a little bit above and below. This is what God created in its original form. And this coffee plant produces these little cherries. And inside almost all these cherries, are, we find two coffee beans that looks like this. 
This is what a coffee, cher- a coffee cherry cut in two looks like. You can eat it in its raw form. I've heard it's not very good. Now, would you like to know how we discovered coffee? This is, so, this is so good. Legend has it that sometime around the 9th or the 10th century, an Ethiopian goat herder named Kaldi was walking his goats around. They stumbled upon this bush, and they started eating the cherries. And you know what the goats started doing? Freaking out. Bouncing all over the place. And the goat, the, the Kaldi was like, what is this stuff? So he had some. He took some of these cherries. He ate them. And he got this, like, magical feeling inside, right? And we're like, caffeine now, right? But this is what he was feeling. So he went to the monastery down the road. And he's like, hey, you guys, I found this magical bush. Can you guys tell me what it's about? They figured out how to grind it up, put it in some water, make some coffee, about, well, coffee with it. This is what's happened over centuries. How far we've come. Would you like to see how far we've come? How about I make a cup? I'm going to make a cup of coffee for you. This is called the Chemex. If you've never had a Chemex, it's a pour over. And it's known for its clarity. It's almost, um, ooh, clarity. That's nice, yeah. <laughs> it's known for its um, almost like tea-like. You know what? I got two blue bottle gift cards. Who's, new? Who, who's never been here before? Who's a guest? Who's visiting with us this morning? $10 gift card that wants a blue bottle gift card. Come on up here. You got your hand up too. Come on up here. What's your name again? Melanie. Thank you for, thank you for coming today. It's $10 for blue bottle. Blue bottle is good stuff, guys. If you've never had it. What was your name again? Brenda. Thanks for coming with us today. Yeah, that's good. This is my grinder. I have a, an electric grinder as well. Um, This is my manual one. I do it for traveling. This is made in Australia. It's made with the same material as the iPhone 6. (laughs) Well, most people underestimate it's the power of the grinder. If you don't have a consistent grind, you don't have good coffee. It's just it. It's just it. I'm using blue bottle beans right here. These are Kenya Kiambu. And there's some, like, real bright notes to this. It's so fun. Jackie does not like stuff like this. This is, again, this p- flavor profile preference. I've ha- I brought some stuff to her. I'm like, try this. It tastes like grapefruit. She's like, oh, no, I don't want that. This is called the Chemex. It was made by an American chemist named Peter Schlumbaum, released in 1942. Hasn't changed much since its inception. You can find it in museums like the MoMA. For real. Awesome. Again, this is a pour over. So good. I'm going to let this drip for the next, like, three or four minutes now. Here's what I hope you grasp today. Precisely how much the coffee plant must be emptied of itself to get the cup that we have today. How much it has to be emptied of itself. I want you to take a look at this next image here. This is the downward path of coffee. That plant that I showed you at the very beginning, it's harvested. The beans are taken from the cherry, they're processed, they're shipped, they're roasted in very high heat. They're ground to almost nothing. And then they're immersed in near boiling water. Now, what I find truly remarkable about this process is that by breaking it down all the way, almost to its end, the coffee plant is given power to cause immense good. It starts in its whole complete form, but as it's broken down, and as it's broken down, and as it's broken down, it now bears more capacity, more range to transcend that brokenness and even cause wholeness for those who partake in it. This is the downward path of coffee, the downward path. But as it descends lower, 
it's given power to ascend to higher heights than it had capacity to before in its original form. Now check out the upward path this thing takes. There's health benefits to coffee. You know how coffee helps burn fat? It can lower your risk of diabetes, of Alzheimer's, of dementia, of Parkinson's, of strokes. It helps fight depression. It's the biggest source of antioxidants in the Western diet. Come on. This is good stuff here. Or you take the aroma piece. You ever walked into a good coffee shop and just took a whiff? Deep breath, right? Like so good. Or the energy, caffeine in, in non-extreme doses. I know some of you guys walk into Starbucks and you're like, give me that quad shot, right? Like, dang, that's unhealthy. Sure. But in smaller doses, caffeine is good. You drink this magic liquid and it provides you energy to go do what you need to do. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room, right? <laughs> it's palate refining. When you drink good coffee, you get a bigger picture of how grand God is how amazing his creation is, how genius his, he is. Our tongues are incredible organs, guys. You drink good coffee and it expands your range of understanding for what God created. Or take community. There's this, this cultural phenomenon happening right now around specialty coffee and coffee shops. It brings people together. This stuff brings people together in ways that the coffee plant never could. People do homework over coffee. People do first dates over coffee. People study the Bible together over coffee. Coffee brings people together in community. These are just a few examples of the power of coffee. But we don't get these benefits from the plant until it's completely broken down. Unless it's emptied of itself, of virtually everything that it is and it has to offer. The coffee plant is broken all the way down for my benefit. I'm going to drink some of this right now. You like my awesome cup too? Always smell the coffee before you drink the coffee. Lovely, lovely dear. These are a few examples of the power of coffee, but unless it's broken all the way down, we don't get the benefits of that cup. The coffee plant, it's broken for my benefit. And the really cool part, it takes after its maker. Coffee's journey, its path to the cup, it's not original. It's not unique to coffee. God wired this process this way into the fabric of creation. He wired this progression into how the world works, and he demonstrated it himself. Let me show you what I mean. One of the, one of the, the first Christians, one of the earliest Christians, it was this guy named Paul, and he had a crazy encounter with Jesus. It changed his life. He was on mission now to tell everybody about Jesus. And in this letter that Paul wrote to a church in this town called Philippi, he wrote this. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you guys, too. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that's above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me show you what Paul does here. He shows Jesus' downward path. This is Jesus' downward path, the way of brokenness. Jesus empties himself. He exists as God, but he pours himself out. He chooses to be a servant in human form. He's humbled to his end, all the way to death, even death on a cross. But because of his sacrifice, because he takes the downward path of brokenness, he's given the upward path of redemption. Jesus is exalted above every other name. That one day, every person will bow before him. That one day, every person will acknowledge that Jesus is creator, redeemer, reconciler. It's like an arrow being shot into the sky. The farther that this thing gets pulled backwards, the more capacity it has to go further upward. And this is precisely the Easter story. This is precisely Resurrection Sunday. Humanity is so damaged that divine incarnates itself in creation. He becomes, he empties himself, becoming man. He lays down his life and he makes the cross our way back to wholeness. It's God's emptying. It's God's brokenness that invites us into wholeness. It's his descending that creates range for not only his elevation, but our elevation. God could have kept a distance. They made their mess. They got to clean it up. You make that bed, you sleep in it. If they want wholeness, you got to find the grit in yourself. Fix yourself. He could have said that. Instead, instead of taking the passive approach, God empties himself. He experiences brokenness all the way to the bottom. And paradoxically, his brokenness becomes our redemption. This is what Jesus has done for you. Completely poured out, rejected, abandoned, sold, abused, tortured, murdered. And who profits? We do. It's the great exchange. We give him our damaged selves, and he gives us true and full, abundant life in him. We're offered relationship with the God of the universe that, make, that can make your five senses dance. Peace. Like true peace that's not dependent on what's going, around, going on around you. An encounter with the divine that results in our profound wholeness. We're invited into the family of God. And it's not on our own merit, but it's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus was a revolutionary. He was not an extremist because he didn't merely offer an ideology. He offered himself. He gave up himself in this. And this is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. That death was not the last word. That pain, that suffering, they don't get the final say. That Jesus, the God-man, he defeats death. He rises from the dead. And he takes the brokenness that he experienced. And he turns it into an occasion to give away life to those that are humble enough to receive it. This is the message of the cross. Jesus enters death in order to transcend it. And now life is what he offers us, freely. And all that's required is that we accept our acceptance. And while this is an astonishing story, it's not the end of the story. Do you remember how Paul prefaced that piece of letter to the the Philippians? Let's show that slide again. This is verse 5. In your relationships with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's he saying? Imitate what you have received. What Jesus has done for you, go do for others. Yes, today, it's about coffee's journey of brokenness. Yes, today is about Jesus's journey of brokenness. And yes, today is about your journey of brokenness. As followers of Jesus, we're invited into the same process to imitate his way. What is his way? That his brokenness, that his wounds, that his trauma would become the entry point through which he offers life to others. That's what we're invited into. To allow my brokenness, to allow my wounds, to allow my trauma to become the entry point through which I can offer life to others as well. You know what this pushes back against, though? It's the radical individualism of the West. My dreams, my goals, my personal fulfillment takes priority. We've been trained in establishing our goals, and then we use groups, and we used institutions to help us get there. But we see nothing of this in Scripture. In fact, when we bring this mindset up against Scripture, pyrotechnics, personal Savior appears nowhere in Scripture Our extreme emphasis on personal benefit, it's an American construction. It's not a biblical one. We've learned the the way of the hitchhiker. I just want to find someone who's going to take me to where I need to get. But eventually, we realize that true beauty in life is experienced when my story contributes to furthering someone else's story. Like coffee and like Jesus even my pain, even my brokenness can become a source of healing for others. So we're invited to progress beyond mere consumerism to adopting a life being poured out for others. What we're really talking about here is change. Normally when we talk about change, we're thinking about new beginnings. But transformation, that happens not from new beginnings, but when something old falls apart. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody had something old fall apart? whether it needed to or it was very uncomfortable, that pain of something old deteriorating, something familiar deteriorating, that disruption, that trauma, it invites the soul, sometimes forces the soul, to climb to a grander peak. Change happens. It always will, but we get the decision regarding our transformation. We get the choice on transcending the pain we experience. Unfortunately, this takes time. We're a culture of progress and efficiency, aren't we? We're impatient with gradual growth. I want the Keurig, not the Chemex. This takes too long. Just push the button. I want push-button transformation. The good stuff in life takes time. God's way of restoring things, authentic redemption, true transcendence, it's much more, it's, it's a patient approach. It's far more effective. Every one of us has been hurt, abused, rejected, betrayed, forgotten. What's your downward path of brokenness? I've been fired. I'm a divorcee. I know the pain of a miscarriage. We all experience pain. We all encounter suffering. And what it does is it tempts us to erect walls in order to protect ourselves from that thing happening again. 
I will never let that happen again. I will never get that close to another person again. I will never take a risk like that again. Some refuse to make room for suffering. They deny it. They avoid it. They cling to religion. Anything to avoid the caverns of pain. Others numb. They self-medicate. Check out. Just distract myself. I got to hide. I got to escape. I got to cover up. Whatever I do, just don't allow myself to feel this at all costs. Protect myself from brokenness. But if you don't risk being broken, the majesty that's engraved in your soul will never truly be revealed. Brene Brown says when we deny our stories, when we disengage with tough emotions, they don't go away. Instead, they own us. They define us. That our job is not to deny the story, but to defy the ending. To rise strong, recognizing our story. To rumble with the truth until we get to a place where we get to choose how the story ends. Unless we are broken all the way down, we will never know what we're truly capable of like a glow stick. If it doesn't get broken, it's just a stick. (laughs) The paradox is the way out is the way in. That only by entering into communion with your pain and your brokenness will your purpose be found. And what we eventually realize is that God doesn't just want to mend our brokenness. He doesn't want to just come in and make it more comfortable. That he, it's the grinding, it's the breaking that ultimately creates the splendor that's going to be enjoyed by others. Your scar gets to become the root of your authority. This is where we truly become like Jesus. We take the pain we've experienced, we look it in the face, we walk straight at it, and with the help of God, we learn to transcend that suffering in a way not only that enhances our own life, but enhances the lives of those around us. This is the Jesus tradition. You see, the Christian code words for Easter are death and resurrection. If you've been around the church ever, you know Easter's about death and resurrection. But most Christians, they want to celebrate that historic event. They want to thank Jesus for it. But then we often fall short of the goal, which is setting out on the same path ourselves, of brokenness. For the sake of the world. Following Jesus is about world change. It's about companionship with real people, with real stories, with real pain. It's about standing up against injustice and inequality and division and violence and power abuse. Following Jesus is about ministering to suffering. But who can minister to suffering? Who can minister to suffering without entering it? You get no credibility. We're invited to be wounded healers. To allow our wounds to be transformed into reservoirs of healing power for others. Not to take their pain away, but to share it. That's what failure, that's what brokenness does. It provides occasions to connect with the brokenness of others. Because if our lives were a faultless success story, we might never come to understand each other. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that brokenness is not the end. That getting ground out is not how you finish. That death doesn't get the last word. Beauty comes out of struggle. Life comes from the grounds. Resurrection walks out of the tomb. That's what Resurrection Sunday is about. I want to invite the worship team to come back up.
we're going to move into a, a time of response in worship through song to reflect on, to engage with what God might be doing in our hearts right now, in our minds right now, in our emotions right now. And I want to close with a parable. A water bearer in India had two large pots, each hung on opposite ends of a pole that he carried across the back of his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, and while the other pot was perfect, always delivering a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the crack pot arrived only half full. For two years, this went on daily, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots of water to his master's house. The perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, but the crack pot was ashamed of its own imperfection, miserable that it was only able to accomplish half of what it had been made to do. After two years of seemingly bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself. I want to apologize to you. The water bearer asked, why? What are you ashamed of? I have been able for these past two years to deliver only half of my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all this work and you don't get full value from your efforts. The water bearer felt sorry for the old, for the old cracked pot. And in his compassion, he said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path, and it cheered him some. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it leaked out half of its load. And so again, it apologized to the bearer for its failure. The bearer said to the pot, did you notice that there were only flowers on your side of the path? That's because I've always known about your flaw. And because of it, I planted flower seeds along your side of the path. And every day while we walk back from the stream, you water them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. Don't leave what happened to you behind you. That thing you went through, that trauma, that suffering, that awful thing, it's now part of you. It's part of your story. It has helped you mold into something. It's pushed you down the downward path of brokenness, but like the coffee plant, like Jesus, it's not the end of the story. In order to give that downward path redeeming power, you have to go through it. You have to go all the way to the bottom. And if you can do that, which you can, here's what you find. At some point down the road, you meet someone. You're talking with someone, going through something awful. Maybe something that reminds you a lot of your own pain, a lot of your own anguish, and it brings it all back up for you again. But this time, you don't cringe. This time you don't get awkward, you don't leave the room, you don't say a crappy bumper sticker cliche Christian thing. You look him in the eyes, you say, me too, I stand with you. That person is probably feeling alone in this cold, dark universe, wondering if anybody has the capacity to empathize with them. And you hear their suffering and you linger. In that moment, your brokenness has become a channel of healing love. The divine is now flowing through you. You have become a wounded healer. Today's message is one of hope. 
Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're grieving over today doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to limit you. You have the choice to let that brokenness enlarge you rather than make you bitter and small. You can resolve that it won't harden your heart, but it'll soften you so that the entry point of your wound can be the place that God's love can minister to others. That others will know that they're not, that others will know that they're not alone, that this pain will not destroy them, that this death is not the last word. This is what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. So we come to you again, Jesus, in this moment, as a collection of souls, as a church family, we're all broken, God. We're all fractured. We're all splintered. We have flaws because of the decisions we made. We have hurts because of the decisions others have made against us, God. And I pray that in this moment, we would have the courage to be able to look those pains in the face and with your help, transcend them. God, that you would give us healing power because of our wounds. I pray that you meet us powerfully in this moment. As we sing to you, or maybe we just allow this song to be sung over you, God. We offer you our hearts now. In the name of Jesus, we pray.